everybody. Welcome to the Literati Cast. I'm Jennifer Loughran. I'm a senior agent at the Andrea Brown Literary Agency, where I rep children's books from picture books through YA. Today is a special double episode all about graphic novels. Now, as an agent, I do have a few graphic novels under my belt. I represent the amazing Low Riders in Space series from Chronicle Books. It's by Kathy Camper and art by Raul III. Um, it is so cute and fun. And the second book won the Pura Belpre Award, which is an amazing honor. Um, I also have several graphic novels that are not out yet, but I'll be able to tell you about them in the future. So keep your eyes peeled for those. Uh, but I do have a lot of experience, especially um, in the bookstore, talking with people about graphic novels. And one of the things we're going to discuss in these interviews, but it's something that drives me bonkers, is when parents say to me, I'm recommending a book for their kid. And they say, no, no, I want my kid to read real books. Look, graphic novels are not less than. If anything, they're more than. Uh, So if anybody ever tells you (laughs) that uh, graphic novels are not real books, you can tell them that graphic novels actually help kids use more of their brain. They help English language learners become fluent. They encourage reluctant readers and kids with learning challenges. Um, They help all readers improve recall and comprehension and overall literacy. Plus, uh, they're really fun. I mean, you don't only read Nobel Prize winners as an adult. Sometimes you read fun things, right? Magazines or or, uh, romance novels or whatever. And... Nobody ever tells you you should stop. Anyway, whatever. That's my soapbox rant for the day. <laughs> now, <laughs> now uh, on to the experts. First up, Cassandra Pelham Fulton has been an editor at Scholastic's graphics imprint for 11 years. She, among other things, uh, edits my client Kate Messner's amazing Ranger in Time series. But she also mostly works with graphic novels, including bestsellers like Raina Telgemeier, whose book Smile helped launch the middle grade graphic novel revolution we are currently in. So she has a pretty great perspective about um, making graphic novels for kids. Let me see if I can get Cassandra on the line. Hey, Cassandra. Hi, Jen. So I have so many questions for you. I We have such big graphic novel fans that are listeners. Oh, that's so great to hear. So, first of all, how long have you been at Scholastic, and what was your kind of road to get there? So, I just celebrated my 11-year anniversary here, and I started as an intern, a summer intern. So, while I was in college, I was part of this program called the Scholastic Children's Defense Fund um, Fellowship. So, I did that for three summers in a row, and I was always an editorial fellow, And um, the third summer that I did it, I was a Scholastic Press and Graphics Fellow. So at the end of that summer, um, and I'd already graduated, um, they created a position for me that was both in Graphics and Scholastic Press, and um, I've kind of been on the editorial track ever since. You uh, primarily work on graphic novels, obviously, with your graphics imprint. Mm -hmm. So in that 11 years, Mm -hmm. can you talk about how that market has grown? Well, um, when we, so we, right, the graphics imprint started in 2005 and I started in 2006. 
And um, we felt very kind of under the radar. Um, it seemed like comic, there weren't a lot of comics out that were for kids at that time because, you know, a long time ago, such as like my um, creative director and editorial director, David Saylor, he grew up, you know, reading a lot of comics as a kid. And I grew up reading a lot of comic strips, not necessarily um, graphic novels. I kind of think of it almost like we um, helped make comics or helped people understand that comics are for kids and can be for kids. Um, and we've seen an incredible, like another golden age or wave of um, graphic novels for middle grade and YA readers um, over the years. And we've seen in, in the beginning, we heard a lot um, of pushback from people who didn't really believe that graphic novels were real books and that they were somehow damaging kids and, you know, readers and, um, you know, keeping them from becoming real readers. Um, and I think that a lot of that has started to turn around, which has been nice to see. Yeah, I have to say that was actually my next question, that exact quote. I still, as a bookseller, I do hear parents say sometimes like, oh, I want my kid to read real books. Like, <laughs> right. real. But, you know, I feel like they stimulate more of your brain. They could be so good for reluctant readers who are not quite maybe fluent readers yet. Absolutely. I mean, I think, and what's wrong with getting somebody to read something they love, like, to make Right. It's like, read whatever you love to read. If that's like, you know, a graphic novel, a prose book, a, a magazine, a, you know, a, like, if you like signs or the comics in the airplanes, you know, like, whatever. Um, you know, I'd read whatever you're a fan of. Um, so changing gears a bit from an author perspective, when an author's work is on submission, as we say, it feels like it's sort of like vast, unknowable void. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. agent sends it out to the editor and then God knows what happens. Right. <laughs> so when you get a submission from an agent, what happens from your perspective? So um, I usually receive, uh, it'll either be just a query or they'll just send the whole thing. And when I say the whole thing, it'll be um, a PDF of a pitch um, that includes some sample. Well, from a graphic novel perspective, it usually includes um, inside a, some, some kind of artist statement and a synopsis summary, and then uh, sample pages from the interior um, that they want to show me. Um, and I can look at them fairly quickly just because when it's a graphic novel, when I can tell right away whether I'm interested um, based on the artwork. So anyway, I, I'll receive a submission and um, if I love it, um, I will start the process of taking it to our acquisitions meeting and I'll read it and then I'll uh, either forward it to um, Anamika Bhatnagar or David Saylor um, or both depending on the project. and. Um, and then kind of garner some in-house support. And then we have a bi-weekly meeting um, where we all sit in a room, um, the editors and um, our, I guess our executive publishing um, committee where we all, you know, people from um, marketing and sales and publicity, and we all just talk about um, whether we want to pursue this project. And hopefully um, for me, it's always a yes. <laughs> and, um, mm -hmm. And and then we kind of um, acquire the project and then and then start the process of shepherding it toward publication. As an agent, it seems 
often really difficult to sell graphic novel text with no illustrator. Mm-hmm. I have done so, but it's hard, obviously, because you don't have the visual thing to look at. Um, do you ever buy just graphic novels text only? I do, but very rarely. So most of my projects are written and illustrated by the same person. And um, I have a couple, um, one series and one standalone that is written and illustrated by two different people. And yeah, I mean, I I would say that it is a bit more rare to, um, for us anyway, to acquire um, projects written and illustrated by different people, just because the script has to be super special and unique. um, And it's, it's not often that we get blown away by um, a script on its own. That's fair. Um, how do you work with an author illustrator or an author or an illustrator? Can you <laughs> kind of take us through the production process of, of a graphic novel? Like what's the timeline? Sure. Um, so the fun thing about working on graphic novels is that everyone works a little differently. So it, you know, it never gets boring and, um, and I have a different kind of creative relationship with every creator I work with. Um, but for the most part, most people, um, and this is of the, the writer illustrators, they'll, for the graphic novels, they'll submit um, what something we call thumbnails or a thumb script, which is basically the entire manuscript um, very roughly sketched out just so we can see what's happening and what the, um, what the story is without it being anywhere near final. Um, mm-hmm. The thumbnails are sent to me and I edit them, which means I, I read them a few times. Um, I look at the, are the characters developed? Is the plot compelling? Is it, you know, does it, um, are the themes uh, overarching and do they resonate? Um, you know, is it, is it a good, is it a good read, basically? Um, and it's hard to distill some of this down into, um, you know, short um, sentences, but I'm trying my best. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we look at the thumbnails and then I'll send back my editorial notes. And then they'll either do another draft of thumbnails. Usually it's usually it's like two, three drafts of thumbnails. Um, and then once we finalize the thumbnails, they start penciling, um, which lays the groundwork for the inks um, that they that they do later. And then eventually either they or another person um, will add color. So um, some some creators color their own work, and then for others we hire um, either we or they hire a colorist. Most of our graphic novels are published a year or two apart. Um, and that even that feels really tight because they are a lot of work. Um, and so a lot of times it is the time. And then sometimes, um, you know, the color like coloring and colors, like they do, their work is very complicated and, um, you know, not everyone can color, you know, frankly. So um, for the book, in, in order for the book to look the best that it can look, um, we we sometimes bring in a colorist. So obviously that's different from editing a traditional novel. Yeah. I mean, what do you think are the key differences or is mm-hmm. one preferable? <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, I'm most stimulated um, editing illustrated work, I'll say, because everything I edit is illustrated, whether it's in comics format or um, in prose. Um, and one of the key differences between editing like graphic novels and prose, though, and something I had to learn was um, when you're a graphic novel editor, you're, you're, you know, a traditional editor, but you're also kind of an art director and you're art directing and you're looking um, at the pages for both the text and the art. So that mm-hmm. requires um, some skill and experience. Um, and it's really fun to do for me. I know it's, you know, 
it's not for everyone, but I love it. Just remembering that, you know, the text and the artwork works together. And, um, you know, you don't want, um, sometimes, sometimes it's nice when the art speaks for itself, if that makes sense. You don't always need like a ton of text um, in every panel. And sometimes I do get submissions where it's like a ton of narration and text and, um, you know, and just, and just kind of finessing that balance so that the story is well told. Um, are there is there any content that you would possibly shy away from as mm-hmm. an editor because your books are so often in schools? Well, working at a children's publisher, we we are very aware of um, the target audience and the age groups of the various books that we publish. So there's not like it's not like I can list you know a list of topics that like we won't publish, but it's more so you know what um, you know feels appropriate for the age group for whichever book that we're looking at mm-hmm. um so sometimes you know we you know i do get manuscripts where um you know we just there's just a discussion with the author um and it's, i've never had to deal with anything like egregious like there's nothing like oh you can't have this character you know doing this completely adult thing but <laughs> um but sometimes um you know, the lines get a little blur- blurry and there's a conversation and, um, and, but it, it's, it, you know, we, we completely think about content, but um, I've never had to deal with a situation that was um, very problematic, you know. How important to you, if it is important to you, that your authors have like a social media presence mm-hmm. or? I think it helps. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't um, force people to be on social media. And I think it's, I think it helps though. And, and I think that we live in a time where a tweet or a retweet can be more valuable than a traditional blurb, you know, like a traditional quote that's um, on the actual book, because, um, you know, I just, depending on who you're getting to tweet about your book, or if you get an, a nice retweet from someone who has a huge platform that can go a long way. And I just know for me, as a consumer on, on that end of my life, because I also love to read books and listen to music and whatnot, books tend to stick with me more, even just when I've seen the covers more, like when I'm scrolling through my Twitter timeline and I've seen the covers and I've seen people talking about them and I've seen articles written about them. And and um, I think it can help just the, the additional visibility. Um, and if you're willing, you know, if you feel comfortable and if you're willing to engage, um, but I don't think that people who don't feel comfortable um, being on social media or engaging with social media should be a forced thing, but I think that it can help. What are some of your current favorite graphic novels to recommend to somebody who's new to the genre? Sure. So if you're brand new, um, I always definitely recommend um, Bone by Be- Bone by Jeff Smith, um, Brandon Telgemeier's books, and uh, Amulet by Kazuki Buishi, and Cleopatra in Space by Mike Mayhack. Um, and then also just to be balanced, um, I also talk about, uh, El Defo by C.C. Bell, which we don't publish, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do mention it. And then I also mention um, Lumberjanes. I would have loved to have worked on those books, uh, but at the same time, as a reader, like I can't edit everything. And I do enjoy reading so much that, um, you know, I do like to read other publishers' books and other editors' books. Um, I mean, there are a few that got away, which I <laughs> won't mention, but, um, but yeah. And then, oh, and for older readers, I always go I always go back to 
to um, Persepolis by Marjan Trepi, um, Mouse by Art Spiegelman. Persepolis was actually the first graphic novel that I that I read in college. Um, Me too. Yeah, it's and it's still like one of my favorites. But but I grew up reading a lot of Calvin and Hobbes <laughs> and um, like Family Circus and stuff. Like that. <laughs> I read a lot of Calvin and Hobbes and a lot of Far Side. I think I was into the Far Side. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, so I always ask my guests the question, mm-hmm. "What are you obsessed with this week?" Which can be bookish, but it doesn't have to be. Um, I'll tell you mine first. Okay. So I'm obsessed with this week. I'm listening to the audio of a grown-up book, which is weird. <laughs> I don't usually do that. <laughs> Um, it's called Young Jane Young by Gabriel Zevin. Okay. She's written lovely um, YA books and also one of my favorite grown-up books to hand sell. A few years back, she wrote The Storied Life of A.J. Fickrey, mm-hmm. which was an Algonquin book, too. If you haven't read it, it's a must-read for bookstore lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, but the new one, Young Jane Young, is about a girl who's interning at a congressman's office and finds herself in the middle of a Monica Lewinsky-esque scandal shall we say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, after she's made the laughing stock of the world and slut shamed and, you know, the whole scandal blows up. So she has to reinvent herself. Um, yes. I'm loving it. Beautifully written, fiercely feminist and often really laugh out loud funny. It also reminds me a bit of Where'd You Go Bernadette, mm. which people loved. So I think if you liked that one, you like this one. Ah. As well. That is my pick. Okay. What are you obsessed with this so week? So my new obsession, I know I'm late to it. Because um, when I told someone that I was uh, really into this, they were like, have you been on the internet? So I just discovered who Pusheen is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an adorable little cat character. And it just delights me and picks me up when I need a little... A little bit um you know with so much going on but Pusheen is adorable um I believe it was created by Claire Belton and Andrew Young weirdly I guess I didn't even think of Pusheen as having creators I just thought Pusheen was. <laughs> yeah I try <laughs> yeah I try I do try to um be aware of like of the you know the art that I'm enjoying and who it's created by um yeah. and I really hope that I'm saying there. Um, their names correctly. No, Andrew. Well, I'm sorry, Claire Belton and Andrew Duff. So sorry. Oh, um, I will put it in the show notes. Okay, so people can look. Yeah, and also I put machines in there. So yeah, it's just them. really cute. And so I have on order um, the book. Um, I am Pusheen. Um, I have not received it yet. I also have on order um, a sticker book. <laughs> so. <laughs> there is a lot of Pusheen merch. There too. is, and it's I'm. I'm trying not to go down the rabbit hole immediately, but I do have, see a mug in my future and I see a plush in my future. Yes, amazing. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Cassandra, so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. This has been great. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to Cassandra Pelham Fulton. She's one of my favorite editors to work with. And um, if you follow me on Twitter or Patreon, you might have noticed that this episode has been a little bit longer to come to fruition than usual. Uh, That is because I had a lot of technical problems on my end, and uh, my fault, not Cassandra's, but I'm very glad I was able to salvage some of that interview to share with you. And I'm also very excited to chat with my next guest. 
Nyla Magruder has extensive experience with web comics. She also is a picture book illustrator. She's done work for Marvel. And she has a brand new graphic novel coming out this month called MFK, which we'll talk about. Um, let me see if I can get Nyla on the line. Hi, Nyla. Hi. I'm so happy you could join me, and I want to dive right in. Uh, we have a lot to talk about in a little bit of time. So, first of all, you have a new book out this week. I do. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. So, MFK is kind of a post-apocalyptic fantasy adventure tale of a teenager who's crossing the desert to scatter her grandmother's ashes in a world where sleeping gods are starting to wake. And the first three chapters of this story are sections of the story are being released as a graphic novel this week from Insight Comics. But can you talk a bit about how the story came about? Oh, Lord, it was so long ago. Um, <laughs> I I think this was at a time when I was between high school and college. I, I took a break before I went to college. And I was getting really into uh, shonen manga. So things like Naruto and Bleach and Shaman King and One Piece. And I love them all so much, but I, I kind of noticed a pattern with all of them. And I kept thinking to myself, I would love to read a story like this that's about a girl. Because they're, you know, it's shonen. They're all about boys. And, you know, a lot of the female characters and just action comics in general get sidelined. And so I started, you know, like just brainstorming this idea. It, it kind of rolled very quickly at first. And I knew I wanted to, I wanted to focus on, you know, a girl, I wanted her to be black and I wanted as much gender parity as I could possibly, you know, aim for. So, yeah, uh, that's kind of how it what got year, started. What year was it? Oh, this was like 2003, 2002. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was a while ago. This has like been in the works for a long time. Yeah, like, you know, I never really had time to sit down and work on a comic because I was either working or I was in college. But it's something that I just plugged away at, like... You know, if I had free time, my mind would wander to it and I'd think, oh, what if I do this? And I just jot down notes or like, you know, draw new characters. And so it's something that's been slowly building for a long time. And it started life as a webcomic, yes. right? So did you actually know where it was going already when you were doing the webcomic or were you like putting up a page and then thinking of the next page, like winging it? Oh, no, I... I had the first chapter written. I had the first three chapters written when I started the webcomic. And for a long time, I've, I, I've known, you know, where the story is going. Just a, a general, uh, uh, I guess, direction, um, a general outline of what I want to do with it and what, you know, the narrative is, what the themes are, uh, more characters that will be coming in. Um, but yeah, I had the first three chapters written, scripted out before I started. So you start with a script and then how does it work to make the images from there? Like, do you, I don't know. Well, how does it work? <laughs> it's, you know, when I'm scripting, it's actually kind of weird because I kind of like, I'm thinking very visually. So at the time, at the same time that I'm writing, I also feel like I should be drawing. And so, you know, sometimes 
I'm, you know, writing things out and I'm also thumbnailing, you know, how I want it to look. Um, but it mainly, it starts with the text. Like that's, I kind of try to focus on that first and then leave the visuals till later. So once I have the script and, you know, when, when I'm kind of certain that lengthwise it's working, um, you know, that it's not running too long, then... I will just break it out into pages. And that's kind of when I start thumbnailing out, uh, lay, laying out the panels. Um, so, yeah, so I, I kind of, I have this weird uh, process when I'm thumbnailing. I, I kind of sketch out like story beats first. I don't just jump into thumbnailing. I kind of sketch out uh different beats of dialogue and action. So like, you know, figuring out who's talking, what sort of facial expression I want them to have, what's the best angle for those expressions or the best angle to show that action. And then I'll start working on the layout. And so from the thumbnails, which I usually do on pencil, I scan those in um, and the rest is digital. I pencil in Photoshop, I ink in Manga Studio, I letter in Manga Studio, and then I take it back to Photoshop in color. The color is amazing, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I think it's really fascinating that you talk about, um, drawing the beats, the, like the emotional beats, because I know that, I mean, I've read graphic novel scripts and they almost read like a screenplay or something where you've written out, you know, they've written out stage directions or what kind of look of anguish will be on their face and whatever. But obviously you're such a visual thinker. You must like imagine the actual image rather than. Uh, words. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like a little movie that plays in your head. Um, the trick, though, is remembering <laughs> that movie when you make the leap from script to thumbnails. It's, you know, sometimes there's a long gap between me writing the script and then doing the thumbnails. And, you know, I, I, I have to get back in the, into the mindset and figure out, okay, how did I want this to look? And then sometimes there's a huge gap between thumbnails and pencils, and I go back to the thumbnails, and I'm like, what the hell did I draw? What was this supposed <laughs> to be? How long does it take you to have a finished spread? Or I guess maybe you do it in pages rather than spreads for... Yeah, I well, thumbnailing I tend to do in spreads and then everything else by page. So, um, but... From thumbnail to full color, uh, I know I can get it done in about like four days. So generally, I'll start, I'll have a thumbnail by Thursday night. And then I'll pencil, pencil maybe Thursday night or Friday. I'll ink and then color and have a page done by Sunday night. And so together... It takes about, let's see, coloring takes about eight hours, eight to 12 hours in itself. So I think generally a page can take about 15 hours. And so that is wild. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. And so I, I try to, you know, it's a, it's a webcomic that updates weekly. So I try to spread that out over the week. 
Mm. So how do web comics work? I mean, I read them, so I know how they work from my end. But like as a creator, how do you make money? Is it just a labor of love and then it becomes popular or somebody wants to make a book or? Well, for some people, it is just a labor of love. Uh, there are so many different web comics now and so many uh, varieties of, um, I guess, ways to make money and sustain it. Um, right now, you know, crowdsourcing, crowdfunding is very popular. So a lot of webcomic artists have Patreon that you can just like, if you if you like what they do, just, you know, throw them a, a dollar or five dollars a month. Uh, mm. There's Kickstarter. So a lot of webcomic artists will kickstart print books. And I don't know how lucrative that is because printing itself is, you know, such a such a heavy undertaking. Um, there are uh, companies now like Hiveworks that if you become a, mem- a member, they they are able to pay their artists through um, advertising. Uh, advertising historically has been the, the big way that webcomic artists make money. So the more traffic they can get to their website, you know, the better off they'll be. A lot are able to do it through merchandising. So just providing, you know, books, t-shirts, toys, related products. Um, me personally, I, um, you know, I was working full time when I started it. So I kind of went in knowing money is not going to be a priority for me. I already have a job. I'm I'm doing okay. So my my main focus was just getting the pages done and also building a fan base. Um what are some favorite webcomics not your own that um oh, we should check out? Um Let's see. Lately, I've been recommending How to Be a Werewolf to Everyone. That is by... It's it's a really... I, I fell for it instantly. It just speaks to all of my interests. Um, yeah, uh, yes. you had me the title. <laughs> I... It's so good. It's so magical. And, and it's by Sean Lenore, How to Be a Werewolf. Um, speaking of magic, Agents of the Realm by Mildred Lewis is beautiful. Um, Witchy by Ariel Rios is also beautiful. You've also written in the Marvel Universe. How is doing an indie comic or webcomic different than, than doing a comic with already established characters? Um, well, with my own comic, I can do whatever I want and not have to worry about consequences. So that's nice. Um, and honestly, like I feel like Marvel gave me a lot of freedom. Uh, they basically told me, you know, chronologically this is where the characters are in the marvel universe and go um but i still felt a lot of pressure because these are established characters so i you know i was doing a lot of research uh reading uh, um all of ryan north squirrel girl comics to get the tone for a tippy toe right and reading up on uh rocket to get his tone right uh and you know, the whole time I was writing the story, I I was just thinking in the back of my head, I, I hope I'm not screwing these two up. Um, <laughs> luckily, it all seems to have worked out. So, but it, it was just like, just intense pressure to get these characters right, because they're beloved characters. And, you know, so many people read these comics. Did you have to like, run it by Big wigs at the um, Marvel or anything? It got ran by big wigs, I think, you know, once I, I the 
Marvel's got this really interesting process where you turn in the outline and then it goes to art. And so before I even wrote the script, the art was done. Uh, so the outline, um, the editor did run by, uh, you know, higher ups and she came back with notes and then it, you know, just things to correct, uh, not a lot. And then it go, it went to art, uh, came back then, I wrote the script and I assumed there was another, you know, like review process on their end. Basically, I just waited for the editor to come back and tell me what to do. <laughs> well, that sounds about right. Um, you've written and illustrated a picture book too, the adorable yes. How to Find a Fox. I uh, love Ooh, that so much. Did, did you find yourself surprised by how picture books uh, work compared to comics? Was I surprised? Eh... I I actually I expected uh more notes I guess. I really I really didn't know what to expect. I kind of just went in you know like wide-eyed and ready to take on anything and I expected more notes. I expected to really, you know, for them to kind of want to rework the story a bit and uh you know the text notes were pretty light and then the art notes were basically like add more flowers <laughs> so yeah i i kind of i guess i expected uh just more you know more editorial input but they kind of just let me do you know do my thing you know the story was already there as far as the production it kind of I don't know. I think my process was very similar to what I do with comics. You know, it was uh, thumbnails, pencils, uh, outline, and color. So, yeah, I think it was. Though it takes a lot more time for an actual picture book well, to come out. Yeah, that's yeah, that was definitely waiting was a lot different. You know, with my web comic, I just put the page up once it's done. But I finished How to Find a Fox in September of, what, 2015? And then it came out in November 2016. So that's definitely mm -hmm. normal. Yeah, but and very actually, actually kind of fast <laughs> for a picture book, you know. Do you have more adorable picture books in the works? Yeah, I don't know yes. how much I can talk about, but... It's oh. going to be really cute. Oh, my gosh. Can you give us a um, hint? Horsies. That's nice. I like the horsies. Um, so let's say somebody out there is good at drawing. Maybe they're in school still. They want to break into comic illustration or graphic novels. What would your top tips be for a newbie? Um, I guess just draw, you know, like finish. Finish what you're working on. And... If that means just breaking up projects into small increments into, you know, just like small projects so you can get them done and not intimidate yourself with the enormity of it, do that. Like, but just finish what you're working on and then share it. Um, a lot, you know, you never know who's going to be looking at your work online, but uh, get it in front of people. Um, that's, that's huge. You know, getting that exposure is huge. Um, yeah, like that's, that's kind of my top thing. Just put stuff out there, 
I think that that's actually good advice for anybody yeah. doing anything, probably. You know, actually do exactly. it. You learn start. by doing. <laughs> um, I just know that a lot of times, a lot of, you know, if you go to a Comic-Con or something, there are people who have made their own books and have, you know, created their own I don't know, little, I don't even know what you call them. Like ash cans. Those little. Yeah, mini comics. Mini. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't know if that's still the way people do it or if now it's all Instagram. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of artists do have Instagram, but, you know, a lot of artists are still going to comic conventions and handing out minis and, you know, small comics. And it's, you know, and it's a great way to get discovered. You know, agents and editors are wandering those halls, too. Um but yeah, like, you know, a lot of us will tell ourselves, you know, now's not the right time to start on a comic. I'm going to wait until the timing's better. And that time never really comes. Uh, so, you know, just just go ahead and get started. And you don't have to put things up if you don't want to right away. Um, you can just work on your craft and hold that stuff and wait until, you know you uh wait until you've uh, built your skill set to a point that you're comfortable with but you know just just dive in you know that is fantastic advice uh so we're running out of time but i always ask everyone what they are currently obsessed with and it does not have to be bookish this could be food it could be a movie or tv show or bookish or anything else. Um, and I'm kind of cheating this week because I actually have two interviews. Yeah. So I get two obsessions. Yes. Yeah. See how Correct. I made it work for myself. Um, <laughs> but I think this actually is a kind of my obsession this week kind of links to what we've been talking about in terms of sequential art. Um, I watched a documentary last night called Harold and Lillian, A Hollywood Love Story. So it was a good a documentary of this couple that worked in Hollywood in like the 40s through the 80s. Um, and it's especially interesting, I think, for people who are interested in both filmmaking, animation, graphic novels, or other so kinds of sequential illustrative storytelling. Um, Harold Mickelson was a storyboard artist working largely in the 50s and 60s, and 70s, he had his hand in like so many classic films. When they showed the movie posters of all the things he's done, it's like The Ten Commandments, West Side wow. Story, The Birds, like iconic movies. Um, when you think of that scene in The Graduate, the famous image of the guy shot through Mrs. Robinson's bent leg, like that was him. He literally drew the movies before they were shot frame by frame. And then the directors basically copied what he'd drawn when he was when they were setting up the keyframes for each scene. Um, it's really wild. His perspective is really fascinating. Like he never has just two heads having a conversation, you know. Um, but rather he moves around the room and he can create tension by how things are framed. It's really amazing. And I mean, I can't tell you these images that are so iconic, you know, Moses parting the Red Sea in the Ten Commandments um, or the dancing or West Side Story or whatever. He like planned it first before the director was even involved. It's wild. Um, 
Meanwhile, his wife Lillian was a research librarian with her library in the lots of the studios. So when they needed to know anything, like what does Roman armor look like? What does it look like underground in Vietnam? Anything you might need to know for a movie, she'd be the one to research it. Like what kind of goblet would this person be carrying? (laughs) You know, so entire movies relied on her. She wasn't even credited, but Lillian and Harold together what she would do all the research and he would do all the drawings and they would work together to create the aesthetic of these iconic 20th century pictures, get all the details right. And to give everyone else a framework with which they could do their jobs. It's really intriguing. So, um, and it's also a love story and sort of a nice, you know, sweet, but, um, but I thought it was especially fascinating because it's a side of Hollywood and filmmaking and uh, storytelling wow. that you don't see. And where did you watch that? Oh, I watched it um, streaming on a company that we uh, cannot speak its name. I see, I see. Starts with an A, mm. is a river. But <laughs> but it's probably streaming other places, too. Um, like, I don't know. But I just, my Roku, gotcha. that was the only option I had. But um, but it's probably available in other ways. And uh, Harold and Lillian, a Hollywood love story. Nyla, what are you well, currently obsessed Well, lately with? I have gone back to my shonen roots, and I am obsessed with two things right now. One is Haikyuu, which is an anime about high school volleyball. And everyone who knows me has heard me talk about this anime. They're probably sick of me. It's It's so good, though. Like, the... Just the great thing about sports anime and shonen in general is it's so much about friendship and teamwork and camaraderie. And this story is, it just hits those notes so well and it develops like it's a huge cast and it develops every single character so well. After I finished the first season, like I started Googling Los Angeles like adult volleyball leagues because. <laughs> I just needed an outlet. <laughs> um, it's you know it's a it's a very it's a very good se- uh, series. It's up to three seasons now, I believe, and it's hands down my favorite thing right now. The close second is My Hero Academia, which is another uh, really great shonen series about friendship and and teamwork, but completely different. Uh, completely different type of story this is kind of a japanese take on western superheroes and so it's about it's about a high school where kids train to be superheroes uh they they have superpowers and so they're learning how to deal with them and it's you know it's a great coming of age story love it characters are hilarious i will check them out um nyla thank you so much for joining me especially on thanks for having me Thanks again to my guests, Cassandra Pelham Fulton from Scholastic and creator Nyla Magruder. And thanks to you, dear listeners. If you would like to support the Literati cast, you can do so on the Patreon. Throw us a buck and you just might win some cool books. Uh, This month, the prizes are going to be copies of Raina Telgemeier's drama and Nyla Magruder's brand new and beautiful MFK. The link is uh, patreon.com slash literatycast, and I will have the link in the show notes, along with links to all the amazing books we talked about today. Uh, Thanks so much, and uh, see you next time.